Pam Ochoa. We should sound better on this episode. Well, actually, last episode, you sounded great and I sounded horrible. But regardless, we both should sound back to our normal selves. Things are working out. We saw some of the technical issues. But all of that aside, I had a question for you. It is Thanksgiving evening as we are recording this episode. And my question to you is, what is it that you're thankful for, Miss Ochoa? Well... I'm thankful for family because we just had another grandbaby born today, just a few hours ago. <laughs> so there you have it. I know you, you messaged me and you were like, we were in the middle of cooking and now we had to stop cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it. Yeah, we had, um, yeah, we were, uh, yeah, we were cooking. I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that I at least know how to cook because everybody who was cooking actually left. I did all my cooking. I was baking stuff and things the night before. So everything that they had all signed up, everybody in the house had signed up for something. And my son was doing the turkey and it was smoking and it still had a few hours to go. And anyway, so I became griller and all the other stuff that was not my job. So I ended up finishing everything. So, but then we ate it and it was just, uh, uh, but they couldn't eat it because they were all at the hospital. So, well, I, I have to ask, you know, and I'm coming I first of all, congratulations on the, another kid. I know you're you're a very uh, family oriented person. Always exciting when that stuff happens. But but I have to ask just as, you know, a, a person who loves food, you know, what what's a, what are some of the, the usuals? Do you have anything like the unusual that your family does for Thanksgiving or y'all or is it all pretty kind of like stock food? It's pretty stock food. I mean, um this was pretty typical. We, uh, everybody wanted me to make my broccoli cheese casserole. This is my grandma's recipe. I made the dinner rolls. So I did all of that. I was up late last night doing all the dinner rolls. That's my grandma's recipe. I would sit with my grandma and help her. Uh, we had our Southern cornbread dressing. Uh, but no, yeah, pretty stock. I don't think we had uh, grilled vegetables. That's kind of different than typical so i mean not grilled but roasted we don't usually roast them at my house but we did here so what's interesting to me is when people marry into other people they each have their own type of thing and so it was kind of neat to to see us blend our you know our different dishes so the stuff that i actually have it with my mom and dad and my original family was a little bit different uh than that and of course my husband was hispanic so we we would always throw in a little mexican food a few uh tamales we'd make tamales sometimes usually we do that for christmas but sometimes a little tamale and enchiladas for thanksgiving uh we do that at home and then we would when we go visit like my grand my grandparents or anybody like that we would have the traditional so anyway but that's kind of what we do and then my my brother's family with them, they do a lot of soul food, um, and so they have pig's feet and uh, they do stuff. <laughs> so it's neat to get all of us together because we blend all of that. Because my brothers, they have you know we kind of a blended family, so it's kind of kind of interesting. But yeah, so we we had soul food and greens and 
and all of that as well. So that's kind of not typical. So sometimes we do it typically and just depends on who's, who's heading up the group and where we end up going. So if you're at my house, it's going to be a little typical with maybe an enchilada or two. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, you know, all of our food is pretty much typical as well. And we have, uh, um, our, Thanksgiving is starting to like we're my my wife and I are kind of next in line to start taking over some of the brunt of this stuff. Now, it hasn't happened yet, and it'll probably be maybe a year or a few more, but it's going to happen. And I just can't help but think that when I have full control or at least majority control, I got to spice it up a little bit. Got to do a little something to change. I, I can't ever just do things normally. You know what I mean? Even if, even if I'm complying to uh, the norm, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to make it my own. I always do, always will to I am. And I'm going to do it for Thanksgiving. I just don't know what I, that's why I'm picking your brain. I really want to. Well, if you're picking my brain too, I mean, my, co- my cousin who uh, she married a man from Boston and we went up to their house one time and it was all fish everything fish and crab See, that's a little too different <laughs> it was like oh yeah <laughs> it was not something that i was familiar with but we were doing it his way so that was kind of fascinating well with that said everyone welcome back to craft and draft turns out we're giving you a thanksgiving episode Anyway, we we said maybe at the end of the last one, but we're making it happen. Ochoa looks like she she is off in undisclosed locations, uh, handling family business. I'm still at the house as usual, but regardless, we're here to talk about reading and writing workshop. We're going to be answering a listener question today, but before. I tell you all about that. I want to tell you that this episode is alive and this podcast exists because of people like you who listen subscribe rate and join our patreon page that patreon page gives you access to bonus episodes no one else hears trainings early insights into things access to us and a whole lot more and we're gonna be doing some trainings uh, coming up here shortly i keep teasing it but we're gonna have something to announce here in a little bit ocho and i were just talking about it before we even came on but the people that support us and the people who do the most to keep this podcast alive are as listed is Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, and Hannah. They've been supporting us, some of them for quite a while. And honestly, this podcast really, it really exists because of them. They're the reason we do what we do. And you can join them if you would like. If you don't want to join them, just subscribe and you can join all of us in spirit. <coughs> I'm dying. <coughs> Got some dust in there. Regardless, we're going to be talking today about something that, I mean, I've probably railed about it a million times. And, you know, we we, we find different ways to, to tackle this subject. But someone uh, messaged us and they wanted us to cover some of this. So we're talking about programs in the classroom, how to navigate them and how to keep doing what you know should happen in the class while keeping uh, everyone that is interested in pushing programs or at least holding the line on them uh, happy so you can keep doing what you're doing. So all of that and more on this episode. All righty, Miss Ocho. So first of all, I want to hang a lantern. We we posted um, in our Patreon about a week ago or so asking people what they were really wanting for us to talk about and, and go over. And we're turning some of that into... 
kind of the training that we're going to do. Um, so Patreon supporters, patrons know that that's coming. Some of those questions are going to be answered um, through the special events that we kind of have coming up for you guys. So don't think we're ignoring you. We're just trying to find the best places for things, including answer them on this podcast as well. You know, we like to kind of see what we have and then we see what we're going to do because some of the things just require a more in-depth conversation. Some of them require a podcast level conversation. Some of them require really to go in and talk about the nuances in a training. So we're going to be hitting on all of that. We haven't ignored you. Your answers are coming, we promise. But Tracy um, was lucky enough to post something that we uh, have not only dealt with, but it's something that we're passionate about. It's it's partly because of the reason Craft the Draft exists, because Craft and Draft, the original idea was to find a way to show all the work kids are doing in workshop that isn't always readily available. So the kind of the heart of Craft and Draft is, is making workshop visible for everyone, including people that come into your classrooms who may or may not know uh, what reading or writing workshop is or why it is useful. But Tracy messaged us. She says, our superintendent has proposed that we get a K through eight reading series. I haven't used a reading series in 20 years. I don't know how or what to think on something like that. I sat in a three hour session after school and looked at different publishers. I had to fill out questionnaires on all of them with my group of middle school teachers. I honestly thought I would lose my mind when I left. One of the teachers said, I hope you feel better tomorrow. I must have looked physically sick. That being said, my principal supports my philosophy of teaching, reading, and writing as I get good scores. The AP, however, has been put in charge of this initiative. She and I don't agree on how to teach children to read. My plan is to utilize whatever we get as a tool for short stories, poems, and prompts. What bothered me the most was that the new teacher who said, this will be great. I can just open this up and have my plans done every day. It is hard to let it go. That is not good teaching. Thanks for listening. Well, we're listening, Tracy. We've been through this conversation a bunch of times, both with each other, with other teachers, with people who have listened to this podcast. But I, I kind of want to take the the scenic route of this issue because it sounds like to me, Ocho, it sounds like Tracy's already on the right path because she says, my plan is to utilize whatever we get as a tool for short stories, poems, and prompts. So she's already thinking in the way that you and I think about, which is if we're forced to do something, how can we put this into what we're already doing that's good? And you've you've been navigating this and you've navigated it and I've navigated it in a bunch of different ways, but you're really doing it in the classroom. So I'm going to let you take the floor just as kind of an overview because not everyone might be in Tracy's situation. There might be newer teachers who are like, I didn't get into teaching to push these these really uh, program uh, centric ways of teaching, or maybe they're just a teacher and they're, they're trying to figure out different ways to navigate this because they listen to podcasts like ours, or they read books, um, out there about workshop and like, I want to do this, but I just can't make it work. So what, what is your solution? If you were in her similar spot, what would you be doing to navigate the waters of something being pushed by your district? But that is kind of fundamentally against the philosophy and the purpose of what you're doing in your workshop. Well, first of all, I've been on a lot of those kind of committees. Uh, sometimes I've chosen to be on them. Most of the time I've been voluntold to be on them. <laughs> so you are, you're sitting in there and you're like, 
oh, you know, because you get you get a blend of teachers that you don't always work with because they're probably teachers from all over your district. And so in each school, even though they may have the same district, sometimes they have a different philosophy depending on that leader. And it sounds like um, what's really neat, I think I would take confidence in is the fact that she's got a principal that supports supports her and the way that she uh, teaches. So I think I would definitely take confidence. I like the fact that she said she was going to, like you said, she's going to use um, them for poems and things like that. And that's pretty much what I do. Uh, for example, just recently I was telling you this and I think it might fit and you said it might. And that was, uh, you know, I'm having to be out uh, because I've, I've missed some school due to, you know, good news. But anyway, so I have to take care of those things. But uh, I chose something from our textbook because we have a textbook and technically it is in our curriculum to use. And there we have in our curriculum, and you remember this, that it has like suggested and then it has required. And some of the things in our textbook is considered required reading. And I know that the other day I told my our uh, our friend, you know, who we both worked with, but she went to eighth and sixth grade. So, uh, but anyway, I was telling her that we were going to work out of the textbook and she just went, oh, and I said, well, it's that required reading that we have to do. She goes, yeah, but oh, you know, but um, so anyway, I did that and the kids seemed to, the way I did it, the kids enjoyed it. So I chose to do that for uh, my being out and so what what we do is the students are reading and, it, and i kind of pull this off come from you jacob and that was you take one idea and you look at it from different genres and uh, i think you've done that with argument where you take how is the author arguing for something in different genres so this is just a topic i chose uh, in there are new standard not new standards but the in the actual star test and the blueprints, it, it says for the new star test that they're going to be looking at multi, more multicultural, multidisciplined texts. So I'm trying to pull stuff in from all different areas. Um, this one is all about the ring of fire and it brings in a little science. And so there's a story in there about a rogue. It's a rogue wave, which is not really... I think this particular rogue wave was from a storm, but it happened near in the ring of fire and in the Pacific, it looks like. And so, but this idea of rogue wave made me think of tsunamis and uh, things like that. And so um, it looks like my thing wants to do an update for some reason. So anyway, hopefully we can navigate that, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to. It's probably okay. Uh, yeah, it looks like just it don't will click be. update. <laughs> well, no, it says restart now. So I, if I hit okay, I think I'll be all right, right? I don't know. We're about to find out. Okay, here, let me say it says your organization will restart your device at oh, 12 4 a.m. So if I hit okay, I'm all right. Yes. Okay. Sorry, y'all. All right. <laughs> Sorry, it just popped up. I couldn't see anything. That's what like, happens. Oh, no. <laughs> so anyway um so 
so so what the students are doing is they're going to read a story out of our textbook but then what i've done is and it's it's about this rogue it's a rogue wave and uh but i've also found an article about uh, the earthquake that happened in 1964 that actually changed the entire alaskan coastline uh they're also watching a video so they're starting out with a video actually uh from um about the ring of fire so they kind of know what it is a little about three minute video it's not very long and then they they uh, are doing the the article and then they're going to read the story and then they're going to do a poem about a rogue wave and the idea is every time there's an earthquake it creates these especially in the ocean a lot of times it creates these huge tsunamis and so it's all in our what we're supposed to be doing is informational text I wanted to show the students that they can get information from story, like an autobiography or any other uh, true story. They can get information from a poem. They can get information from, um, you know, just the informational text that just because we're doing informational text doesn't necessarily mean that they can't get information from other things. So that's my purpose. And so I've, I'm combining my own stuff and tying it into the story that is actually out of the required textbook. So that's what I'm doing. The students seem to enjoy doing that. And then uh, when they write, they're going to write a response uh, between the, all of them. And then we're going to do a triple Venn diagram just to kind of see how they all are alike. And then from there, they're going to create a response based on how they, and, and their response is going to be, uh, you know, however they want to. They can write a poem based on what they've learned. They can talk about an experience that they've had, uh, or they can create a story. So they're going to be able to do whatever they want with the piece. As well, a and I think, I mean, I love all of that. And I have a feeling Tracy is somewhere in the middle of that, just on how she wrote about this. And right, um, I think it's, you, it really is best, you know, is to, I know we have a lot of things that we do and I feel like a lot of our listeners and I think just English teachers in general, you know, we love finding new things or unique things or finding things that we know our kids are going to really enjoy. And so there is like that element that gets robbed from us when we are forced into, I don't know, certain product or whatever, but for the most part, you know, all of these things, even though it might be something people can just open and just use, it's kind of like, you know, a textbook. It's where textbooks aren't evil on their own, right? In fact, a lot of them can be very useful. Um, but it's when, you know, I think we've all, at a certain point, you just kind of hopefully evolve from, you know, just opening it and using the textbook into using it in more nuanced ways or using it in kind of snapshots or, or being more purposeful for why you're doing it. There's a lot of reasons why someone would, but <clears throat> it's really the, the purpose behind these things that do it. So for someone like Tracy, who is facing, you know, the eye of Sauron of just this reading program that is against everything that she wants to do. You know, it really is. It's like, okay, so if I'm forced to do this and if if my AP, this is kind of their thing that they're hanging their hat on, you know, 
one, the AP might see something good in it, right? They, they, there might be something worthy in there. So that'd be like kind of my first question is, well, have you, I know you saw it at kind of all of this and it made you vomit. I've been in very similar situations. I have a funny story to share about that one day when I feel safe enough, but, um, I, uh, having, so there, there might be something that's interesting. So my first question would be having that conversation of, okay, so why do you find this valid? And then once again, and I think this is the, the, the most reasonable way to advocate for yourself is if you're in a situation where someone's asking you to do something that you think is wrong or someone not like morally wrong, but like wrong in the sense of like, this isn't good teaching. This is outdated pedagogy. This is all just lies created by marketing teams, et cetera, et cetera, that type of wrong. So if you're in a situation where someone's asking you to do something like that, I think the best thing to do is to go help me understand how this is going to help me. Right. And, and have that conversation because there may not be an answer, but there may be an answer. And that answer might be not to your liking, which is a different problem. Right. But I think that's where you start. If you're being asked to do something and you're very taken aback by it, or you feel like it is, it's kind of against this, what you want to do. I think that one of the proper things to do is to give your leaders credit and go, Hey, I have an aversion to this, but I'm willing to listen to why you think this is great. Can you help me see how this is going to help? Right. Um, I don't know. Have you, before I go on with that, Ochoa, have you ever had a conversation like that, whether it was someone coming to you as the, when you were a coach or whatever, or that you spearheaded or that you experienced? Yeah. Um, you know, there was a while back where our district, um, pushed really hard for guided reading at a middle school level. And they also pushed particular program to help us do that. They, what was interesting is they gave us information from one source and then turned around after we got used to that source, they turned around and gave us information from another source and made that the correct source. And I don't really want to go into who the sources are. You know, there's some things we just don't need to be doing like that in our forum. But the point is they even changed course and changed required programs right in the middle of us learning how to do this and said, and so my job was to help the teachers navigate how to do guided reading. Now, guided reading at uh, elementary is pretty common. Um, you know, they have their, their reading class and they have their centers and, and uh, they may pull the students up and, and work with them. And it's very common, but in middle school, to be able to do all of that in a class period with a, with a 150 students, or, you know, we have, we're fortunate to have block and, and, um, and we have 60 students, but the thing is, is to be able to do all of that in the way that they wanted it done, because the person who was um, wanting us to do that was familiar with the way they do it in elementary. And they were trying to push that particular way of doing it at the middle school level. I'm not against guided reading. I'm not against bringing kids up and working with them, mm -hmm. but doing it in that, that particular way. And they wanted to, the, the question that the teachers were, were like, well, what do we do when we have these kids that won't behave in our classroom? And now we've got to pull up three to five kids 
and we have to work with them for 30 minutes every week. And when am I going to get that done? And then we have to break them into all these different groups and then work with them. And uh, that was pretty hard to navigate. And it was a lot of pushback because I was the one that was having to make sure we do it. And so for me to be the one to make sure that we're doing it, I had to learn how to navigate and yet not give up our situation. So, so when you're doing that, you have to look really, what are the needs of, of the students as a, as a teacher? What are your needs as a student? What can you, uh, what are your student needs and what can you do as a teacher to meet those needs? And I would work within that system uh, based on our student needs but um, just for somebody to blanket come in and say, you have to do this when your students may or may not need it uh, is really difficult to defend. Um, so I think in that case, if you put your students, you, you actually make a case with this is what my students, these are who they are. This is what they need. And is this program really going to meet that need? I don't think so. Or I do think so. And if the case is they do, then just do it with those few kids, but I, I don't know. I found that that was probably the most difficult thing for me to navigate uh, because it was just the way they wanted to implement it. And I personally had to go to bat for my teachers on that as well. And it, it was very difficult, but we put the students first in our argument. And I don't know if we completely won, but we did navigate it. Well, and here I have an example I want to share but before I do that, I want to speak to it almost as a from the administrator side. And I don't know if this is the case for her administrators, but here's what I've seen in my brief stint as a as a principal, which is the the head principal is often, you know, they they give a lot of input. They give kind of the guidance. But from what I've experienced is a lot of the really good principals um is they, they really want to train up APs because most APs are using that position to get to the next level, whether that's principalship fully, or maybe it's into a district position of some kind, like uh, some type of testing coordinator or curriculum coordinator, something like that. Um, but rarely do people become APs just to be APs forever. So principals like to, you know, they like to grow that capacity. They like to step back. And a lot of the meetings that we have, and I love my principal. I think she's incredible. I think she's very smart. I think she's made a lot of really great decisions, a lot of tough decisions too. Um, but she, she will come to our meetings. So we have, there's seven APs and one whole principal, right? So there's a lot of us. Um, so we have these meetings about, let's say there's like an initiative that we want to do, or there's a problem that we're trying to solve. And so we hash it out in a meeting. She comes in and often she'll be like, okay, so here's the facts. We can take it this way, this way, this way, or another way that you guys come up with. I'm leaning this way, but I'm going to let y'all figure it out. Y'all are in the trenches, so you figure out how you want to do this, and then she leaves, right? And then we figure it out, and then we update her on whether we've come to a consensus or whether we want her final input on something. But ultimately, a decision is a lot up to us, right? Um, and so her AP might be in a similar situation where they're trying to prove that they can handle a big district initiative. They're trying to show that they can bring teachers into the fold of something that might be new and scary. Um, <clears throat> there could be any situation. It could also be entirely different. But so just from an AP perspective, I think it's 
interesting to think about that and go, you know what? They, we might disagree on something. They're trying to push something that I disagree with. So maybe a tax that Tracy can do or someone in similar situation is just get to know what, what their motivation is for this. Because if it's, if their motivation is I'm doing it because district told me I had to do it. That's a different conversation than if they really believe that this is going to be useful. If they believe it's going to be useful. Um, I think that's an, that's where you kind of have to navigate, helping maybe educate them if that needs to happen, maybe figuring out why they believe it's useful, like I said earlier, or just having a really nuanced conversation about your differences and where y'all can hopefully meet in the middle. And if honestly, and if they're a leader worth their salt, they'll have that conversation with you without being, well, I said it and it's going to happen, right? Resorting to that. Um, and that does happen. So if that's that circumstance or if anyone's that circumstance, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and so you, you have to, then on that note, you have to go kind of your own route, but if they don't fully believe in it, then I think that leaves interesting, um, possibilities. And I'll use our own campus as an example. We had, uh, you know, last year they were pushing an initiative. Um, I don't go into too many details about it, but the initiative was being pushed our principal wasn't fully on board with it. Um, none of our team was really on board with it. And I asked my principal, I said, what, what am I being asked to do right now? Because I despise this. And she goes, I know you despise this Chastain, but we have to do it. And I said, okay, so help me navigate this. What, to what extent? And she said, you know what? I need y'all to try it for a certain amount of time, gather data, gather information. And then if it turns out to be horrible, then we'll respond with that and see where we can go. If you end up loving it, then you've lost no time. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. sweet. And so that's what we did as a team. We set forth, we put something in place. It was pretty much as bad as we all thought it was going to be. Um, and we brought that forward. I wrote up like a, a master's level doctor-like paper about it, citing uh, sources, citing research, citing our own data that we pulled. And then lo and behold, uh, it, it got pushed away for the rest of the year. So that's how we handled it. But that's you, people have to understand that the only reason I was even able to go to bat like that for our team was because one, I had shown that I could make credible decisions on a larger, like on a system scale, not just my classroom. Cause we had decided some other stuff, um, the year before that, that really turned out great. I had proven that I'm not just rebellious for rebellious sake that I really do. If I do rebel, it's because I believe it's for what's good for kids and what's good for schools. Um, and my principal was really awesome. So there <laughs> like you yeah. go ahead. Oh no. I said, yeah. And I mean, I think that's where Tracy, if she's got a principal that will back her up, I mean, I think that's great. Well, and I, that's why I was kind of leading with that, which is our uh, we were in a slightly different situation because she was kind of spearheading that. But if you know, if there's a difference between kind of the AP and the reason why they're wanting to do it, but your principal's on board with you, you want to do it sounds like you already have some bridges there that you can help. Uh, close some of these gaps just to make this less of a, a problem. I'm not saying any of this is really going to get rid of the problem, but it's really not about that. When we're as workshop teachers, and especially in this climate, we should probably do an episode about this because we've avoided the science of reading versus uh, what is it? Why, why am I missing? I always want to say whole 
whole mind reading. Yeah, whole language. Um, You know, that whole debate, that's kind of reached a new peak. And honestly, I think the quote unquote science of reading debate is winning Um, in turn. And I've had a couple DMs that that kind of show me that the tide has turned. So workshop is I wouldn't say it's on the out. I'm just saying it's going to be it's going to be increasingly more underground, so to speak, as more programs come out and more. Uh, speakers use that quote, the science of reading to push whatever they're trying to push, which just for clarity's sake, I know we're not going to dive into this today. The science of reading doesn't exist in the sense of what that term means. There, there's right. a bunch of sciences to reading, not just one. There is, there is no science of reading, which is why that term is misleading. It's why so many reading experts, um, a lot of them I've had on teach me teacher are upset with that term. It's not an evil term. Um, it's not, it's not like a nefarious group, but there's people capitalizing on that term, trying to push, um, the equivalent of programs. They're saying, we know the science of reading and this is how you get this done, but it's not, it's not that simple. So anyway, that was, well, that's how they're able to push all these leveled readers. Of course, because that's what it's a, it's a false lie based on really great marketing. Well, yeah. And, and I think the danger in level and, and I'm okay with, um, as leveling, I guess, if you will, if your student needs it, but there's a lot of times where like I'm sitting here with my, my grandchildren and I've got a two-year-old that's reading. I'm telling you, I've sat there and watched do it because she's her mom has been working with the the four-year-old and who's about to be five and he's reading. So she's like tagging along. Well, when she gets up there, she might not need a level low level reading, you know, but the problem with the programs is they're like, you can't move on because you got to finish all the level one books, but they're really already beyond the level one book. So that's the problem is I think it's not that if a student needs that leveled reader, you know, it's okay for them to have it. But when you're, and I, and I think that's where she's going with it. But if you've got students that don't need it and they need the next level, but because we're in this program, we can't move. That's where I think the problem is. And I, and I've been, in those with accelerated reader. There's some other things that we've done um, with the kids where they have to take a test and they can't. And if they don't read all these books on this, this level and they don't pass all the tests, they don't take them. Well, they can't move on. And what happens is these students who are actually readers stop reading. And I think that's where um, as a teacher, it's really difficult to deal with when you are forced to do something like that. So you got to figure out, like you said, the underground workshop model in the middle of all those moments where you're like, okay. So I worked with this teacher not too long ago. She's in third grade and she calls me every time she needs help. And so I I've even been over to her house. And so she'll call and she'll say, I, you know, can you come over? I, I, so when she needs a new idea, she'll ask me. And so we'll sit there and she was doing, they were having to do a leveled reading book for the whole class and um and actually the book was interesting in the sense that the topic was interesting and what we did is i said well what you want to do is give these students background information make this stuff interesting but the book was written so low 
that it was, you know, he likes to dance, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just real low. But the but what he was doing was he was doing the lion dancing that you see in um I guess is it in Japan or China, but anyways, the lion dancing. And so I said, well, let's look it up and let's look more into it. Well, when you got into the topic, you could actually bring in all these other things and teach the kids what all of that meant and why is that important? And then you read them the little book. Well, now it makes it more interesting because you know what the student, you know, the little character is going through, but I, you know, that's what we ended up working out. And, uh, but that was with her little leveled reader with her kids. So she showed a little video and she did, um, a little, um, I guess a dragon or a lion or whatever it was where they did some coloring and things like that. So, but it was fun. They did a whole type of thing around this book, but so fun with it. here's the one thing that I want to pinpoint. Cause it sounds like Tracy, uh, it, it sounds like she's frustrated for the same reasons, honestly, that you and I get frustrated is when we see like the long-term effects of stuff a lot. Um, it, it's one of the things that gives us the passion that it takes to present as often as we've done, or just put your ideas out there. We do, we don't do it because we think we're great. We do it because we genuinely have seen, you know, where things can go. And we just, we care about this profession to where we, we just want to be a part of the solution any way we can. And that's why I think that's why anyone speaks up and says these things. But when Tracy says that she was mostly bothered by the brand new teacher who said, this will be great. I can just mm -hmm. open this up and have my plans done every day. She goes, that's hard to let it go. It's not good teaching. And so here's the thing. And this goes back to having conversations, which is does your AP or does the district really believe it's good teaching to follow a program not written by kids that understand or not written by people that understand your kids or your demographics or your community, um, not written mostly by teachers. Uh, most of these programs, I won't say all, but most of them aren't written by educators. They're written by uh, data analysts that say, oh, well, kids that read this level can really be in these books. And that's how all of these algorithms and these quote unquote leveled readers are really created. And um, anything that's really restrictive, which it sounds like it is, if a teacher can just open something up and say they can teach from that, there's probably a lot of stuff in here that's very stock. Um, it looks great from the outset. Um, but we know this stuff is bad because great teaching is responsive teaching. You cannot respond if you're following a script, if you're following a specific program, certain programs have their uses, but in general, I agree with Tracy. This is not good teaching. This is bad. This will, what happens if that teacher changes districts and they don't have this program to lean on? What do they do? They just can't teach anymore. Like what happens if the district decides to not fund the products anymore? Now you have a teacher that has no uh, pedagogical knowledge at all, other than maybe what they got from school. And now they're lost. So you, you have a, a teacher problem from that point on. Um, and that stuff kind of exacerbates some of this. So in someone like Tracy's position, who's been teaching for, you know, 20 years, and doing her thing and, and loving it and having frustrating moments and having great moments. It, it, I really do. It becomes on us to really 
bring in new people and say, hey, this is, you know, th this isn't really teaching like this is this is babysitting to a certain degree at that level. You're just doling out information and you're letting kids consume things and they answer questions and they perform well and they give you all of these data charts and everyone gets to be happy by the end of the day. But our kids learning is it's what's best for kids. Can we show that they're learning in any meaningful way with data points that are not created by the program. I want to stress that there's a reason we talk about data coming from so many different areas. Miss Ochoa and it's because of that. Any program can show growth within their program because the program is designed to do that. They're not going to create <laughs> companies, multi-billion, multi-billion dollar companies. are not going to create programs that give you data that show that their stuff isn't going to work. The algorithm will start moving to show that kids are progressing if they're, if they're doing things, but it's when you start pulling data pieces from other areas, when you pull it from your tests that you create or their writing or conversations or any type of different level of assessment that you can do and you go, is there growth happening or is it just being produced here? And I think, you know, you have to arm yourself with data. We've said it multiple times. You have to. It's unfortunate that it's like this, but just because of the nature of what school is and the nature of um, just what we do now is you have to arm yourself with research and information and knowledge and be able to defend stuff. It's not enough to say, I don't want to teach like that. That is not enough. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, if you're you know, protected by all things. And you know, and you just want to buck the system. You can do that. I know teachers who are, they're like, I'm out in two years. Try to tell me what to do, right? You're not going to fire me. It's going to take too long. And if you're in that position, then by all means, but if you, if you really aren't, then it really comes down to standing up in the most respectful ways as you can for as long as possible. Now I definitely, and I advocate for this and rightfully empowered, you know, working with your team, working with your admin, working with everyone involved to make sure that, hey, we might have differences, but how do we move forward? I think that is the number one way to do this. However, if you get to a point where none of that works and it's still this, then close your door and do what you do. Right. Like there's I will always advocate for that. And uh, it's. It's something that unfortunately has to happen every once in a while. And that probably means it's time to leave wherever you're at. If that's where you're at, that's, that's not a healthy relationship um, to be now. Hopefully it's not like that. And hopefully other people listening to this, they're not in similar situations. I believe 99% of the things can be solved through conversation, through understanding each other, through moving forward together. And that might mean there's some compromise on your part, Tracy. I've had to compromise several times on some stuff. Miss Ochoa has had to compromise several times on some stuff. But you that's kind of the name of the game. I mean, when you're when you're teaching in a big system, sometimes you you have to compromise to move forward. I don't know. How do you how do you handle compromise, Ocho? Because I know you've you've done it in really extreme ways. You've done it in light ways. But it's one thing I know you face multiple times. How do you rationalize through that to make sure that you're not, you know, hurting anything that you fundamentally stand for just because of the, the holy dollar? Well, there's certain things I don't compromise on. And so I have to know what I can and what I can't. So in this situation, I would have to figure out what can I compromise? But let me talk about what I will not compromise. I will not compromise writing time and I will not compromise reading time. I will not compromise 
writing and reading conferences and uh, and book talks and sharing their writing. Those are the things that no matter what happens, we're going to do those things. Now, if they want me to use a program to handle vocabulary, then I'm going to try to make sure in my mini lessons, I work that vocabulary into the context of which they're reading and writing. So if I have to do a, like I was telling you about that, that lady I helped, or even what I'm doing now with the with the workbooks, or if you were having to do accelerated reader or any other program, then okay, that's fine. I'm still not going to compromise reading, but I'll use that to supplement the reading. But then we're going to write from it. We're going to read something else with it so that they can make connections across text between text and um, something that we can talk about. So, so I might compromise if they want me to teach vocabulary in a program, I'll do my best. I'll throw them a bone, but uh, I just almost on those, I'll do a bare minimum. <laughs> just enough to say, yeah, yeah, we did it. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, if they want me to do a certain grammar program, um, that I, I have a hard time with because I don't agree with all grammar programs and I don't agree with parsing 40 sentences on one side of a worksheet and 40 sentences on the other side of the worksheet, uh, which I've been asked and told to do. Uh, so I don't, I, I won't do those things. So I will teach grammar, but I will teach it in context. And so those kind of things. So I would say ahead of time, I would figure out what I won't compromise with and what I will, I, I don't really, I guess if I compromise this mainly in all their little, I'll read their little textbook, but then I'll add all my other stuff with it. And that's the day I shut my door if I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, as far as dealing with um, teachers, like, like you said, that teachers have their own perspectives. I've been in a room where I've been told I was from Venus and they're from Mars. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be an insult or something because I do my thing and um, I do workshop and my teachers I worked with didn't understand it. There are times that I've actually convinced teachers to go ahead and um, in one case comes to mind, this lady's already a great, great lady and she's retired uh, for quite some time now, but she was from the old 40 sentences on one side, 40 sentences on the other, diagramming the sentences, you know, telling them step by step how to write. We're going to do our pre-writing on Monday. We'll do something else on Tuesday, but we'll have a final product by Friday, that type of person. And then, but through our meetings, you know, she was real hard-nosed about her way and she's she was successful but then what was happening is my writing scores just kept coming up and up and hers were kind of staying the same and and so she finally you know through our we didn't do PLCs back then but we'd have conference periods together not necessarily a PLC but we would work together and uh but we didn't have to does that make sense and so, but she would go, what are you doing? How did you get your kids to write? You know, cause I'd post some of their stuff up. How did you get your kids to do that? Well, then the minute they ask, then I can, I can tell. And so um, we even went to uh, uh, out for lunch on a Saturday so she could learn it. And she just took copious notes and she went and tried it. And then 
uh, she was like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't ever think about reading something and then having them write from that poem or, you know, those types of things. So there were some things that she just was doing from the old school. And uh, so I would, I would listen for any door. Like if a, if a teacher would have said right off the bat, oh, well, that's going to be easy. I'm going to ask them, well, why would it be? Why is it going to be easy? What makes it easy? And find out why they think that's the best way. And then from there, I can say, oh, well, okay. But what if you did this? Is it going to allow, is this program going to allow me to do these things, which I know for sure causes kids to think whatever, whatever, whatever. But um, I'd always look for a door open, an open door uh, to talk to somebody. And when that door opens, and that's when I let them know my philosophy, but I try not to push it, you know. I'm trying not to be too pushy with it. I'm a little bit, you're, you're like, nope, this is how it's going to be me. I'm more <laughs> like, I'm a little more subtle, <laughs> but I do look for a door. I mean, you know, I do because, uh, kind of that's how we kind of got together a little bit is yeah. I found that door and we were having a conversation and, um, uh, anyway, and that's how we learned that we really were on the same side. It is, you know, find your people, you know, as a, my last thing is like, is just to capstone what you're saying is find your people. You know, if you're yeah. odds are there's other people who think like you, maybe it's your principal, maybe it is your colleagues. Um, there are, there are people who are like that, you know, and if you're lacking those people then that's what the Patreon's for, there's a lot of us here. Um, <laughs> We think that way, but you know, that's been, I have clung to my colleagues through rough times, through good times, through transition times. And, you know, I was under five principals and what, seven years at one campus. So <laughs> I had experienced my fair share of turmoil and change and everything else that's gone on. And so, uh, I get it. I really do. But, you know, we made it through and a lot of us were better for it. And um, we pushed for what we believed in. But we also partnered when we saw that people were willing to do that. And like I said, if your leaders are worth their salt, they will they will at least at the very least have conversations about how to move forward um, and at best really partner with you and, and how to navigate um some of the more sticky situations. I don't know. That That's my end thought on this. Ocho. do you got anything else to add before we close out? No, I do like the fact that you said find your people because it's hard when you're alone. I think that you can't go wrong if you put your kids first. Boom. And that is it for this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Craft the Draft. That's Bad Watch. I'm Jacob Chess. We are two educators down here in the state of Texas, loving what we do in reading, writing, workshop, both at the high school and middle school level. So much to talk about, so little time. If you want to have more conversations, join us over there on Patreon so you can get bonus episodes, bonus videos, and access to trainings that other people will not have access to. Although the one coming up, people will have access to um, outside. You don't have to be a Patreon to be a part of that but patreon supporters do get discounts just like they did last time so stay tuned for that patreon supporters i'll be announcing personally two things that i'll probably post on 
uh, in the Patreon, probably tomorrow. So when this is live, um, I'll probably post about that. Ochoa doesn't even know about it. So that's going to be going uh, live here in a minute. Uh-oh, we need to have a business meeting. <laughs> That's right. But regardless, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episode. We drop one every single Friday. If we can, sometimes we have technical issues. Um, reach out to Ochoa. Tell her congratulations on the new family member. And leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast. Otherwise, know that we are here. For you. Ooh.